I, uh, I carry this around with me everywhere. Everywhere I go, when I go to bed at night, it's with me. This um, suitcase you see has the word failure spray painted on it. You know, evangelism is when you share the good news. Evangelism is you spray paint stuff. Evangelism is you spray paint Jesus loves you somewhere, right? This word uh, says failure. I don't know if you can see it from the back row of the balcony. But I thought in this series uh, called Insomnia that I would just get a little vulnerable with you this morning about some things maybe that just uh, keep me up, some things that are packed inside uh, this suitcase of mine, very personal, this suitcase called failure, my own. This is a first grade spelling test. That didn't go well. There's um, an egg bowl ticket from this year. Ten, ten years old, Little League. The baseball that went through my legs, rolled into the outfield, allowed the winning run to score right here. You know how some guys, they brag on the very first hole-in-one? They talk about that. Not many of us have one of those, right? This is my very first ever quadruple bogey. Save that. My driver's license photo. Rogaine. My very, it's got a red F on it, my very first sermon I ever preached in seminary. That didn't go well. Last week's sermon. And today's sermon. Really, it'd be stupid to do this, wouldn't it? To carry this around, it'd be stupid, right? Right? But we do. We do. I want to do a survey. A lot of times when we do surveys in church here, uh, we have you raise your hand immediately. I want you to hold off, and I'm going to do a survey of, of failure. Instead of just sharing my suitcase of failure, I want to do a survey of our failures. Okay, so if any of these have happened to you at the end of it, we'll get a show of hands, and you raise your hand at the end of it all. Okay, if any of these uh, particular failures have happened, you ever flunked a test, failed a class, bankrupt a business, ever gotten gonged at an audition, been cut from a team, zoned out, uh, at an interview, ever been fired from a job, from a goof up, ever gotten angry at a three-year-old? If you've had any sort of moral or social, athletic, academic, artistic, financial, marital, vocational failure in your life, just would you raise your hand? Everybody just high and hold it there. Any of that? What a bunch of losers all around, all around the room today. You know, we're in this series where we're talking about the things that keep us up at night, and I'm convinced. I'm convinced, as silly as it seems, that some of us, we let our failures get the best of us. We carry, around, carry them around with us, and we lay down with them at night. And the good news of what we're setting forth in this series, it really is good news if we can just experience it, if we can get deep into the recesses of our heart. It's this, that there is a, a God, a perfect God of infinite love, and that God who loves us provides us with hope. There are, I would say to you this morning, a lot of things in life that are overrated. Some movies are overrated. Some songs are overrated. Some books are overrated. Some authors are overrated. 
Sports teams can be overrated. Vacation destinations, claims of advertisers, promises from political candidates. A lot of things can be overrated, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? But hope, hope is not one of them. When you're overworked and you're exhausted, it's hope that gives you fresh energy. When you feel trapped in a tunnel of misery, it's hope that points you upward to the light. When you're tired and you're ready to give up, it's hope that says, keep going. When you have great fear for the future, it is hope that says God is in control. When you've said painfully, most painfully, said your final farewell to a very special loved one is a hope that gets you beyond your grief. And when you fail, it is hope that picks you up. I bet everybody in the room knows that the Bible is full of hope. Full of great stories of hope. Nod your head if you're, man, yeah, I don't know a lot about the Bible, but yeah, I bet it's full of a lot of hope. Easter's a big deal. There's billions of followers of Jesus around the world. Hope is probably in the Bible. But do you know, it still surprises some. It surprises me that it surprises some. But the Bible is full of failure. Failure and maybe what we would label failures. Page after page of people who I believe are carrying around their suitcase and they've just packed it in. And it, when they lay down at night, it robs them of peace, of sleep, of real rest. The rest that we just sang about for the weary, the, the lasting rest that Jesus gives. Page after page of people just like that. People just like us, all of you hand raisers today. Strong who show their weakness. The courageous who have wilted under the pressure. Faithful people who at all times were not faithful. There's a beautiful story. In fact, if you have a Bible, we're going to put the verse up at the very end. It's going to be a little different today. We're going to, we're going to point you to a scripture now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. We're going to put it up, put that verse up at the very end of it all. But I want to set it up as we uh, close the service by reading that passage together. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4. There's someone who through the years has been very special to me in Scripture. And some of you know this story or you know parts of the story. Uh, that man is Peter. And when Jesus meets Peter, he, his name was what? His name was Simon. And Peter, uh, Jesus rather, does what a lot of really cool guys do. Uh, your best buddies, uh, you give them a nickname. You ever you, you do that? And Jesus nicknamed Simon Petrus. He said, you are Petrus. You are what? The rock. You are solid. You see, Peter was in so many ways, he was solid. All that scripture suggests about this professional fisherman was that he was ripped and he was rugged. He had broad shoulders and calloused hands and an outdoor face that just, you know, attracted the sun perpetually. But Peter was also this man with a big personality and a big heart, was also bold, he was strong-willed, he was impulsive, he was opinionated. In Matthew 16, in fact, if you've been here for several months, you might recall that we built a whole sermon series on this in October called Labeled from Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus asked the crowd, the disciples rather, who do you say that I am and who spoke up first? The one who was opinionated. The bold one, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I'm sure Jesus thought, Peter, you are something else. You are 
the rock. You got a lot to learn, brother, but you are the rock. And upon this confession, upon the confession that you've made, I will build my church. Later, Jesus and the disciples minus Judas had had their last meal together uh, in the upper room. And they were in a place called the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, giving them ragged edge reality, he says to them, you, all of you, you are gonna, you're going to fall away. It's, gonna, it's about to get hard. We like it when it's easy, right? We like to be among the crowd. We are bright and fresh and happy and cheerful when things are going well. But then the challenge comes and the big challenge comes. And Jesus says, on account of what's going to happen to me, you are going to fall away. Do you remember what Peter said? Not me. Not me. Jesus, I am the rock like a rock. And Peter went Bob Seger on Jesus. He said, Jesus, you, you called me this, right? You named me the rock. And Jesus tells Peter, the sovereign God in human flesh, he says to him, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I'm convinced, would you agree, that the toughest failures for you and I are the failures where we say the words, I would never. I would never do this. I would never disappoint my spouse. I would never betray a best friend. I would never make my kids rebel. I would never lie to my parents and cover my tracks. I would never take a spiritual nosedive. I would never abandon the faith. It's why I think through the years, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 has meant so much to me. I'm going to be bold enough today to put it up in the message version. I never do that. But it's uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, take on 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you get through it. He later will say, hey, I'm so naive. I think at times that I can't fall, that I cannot fall. Some of our toughest mistakes are the mistakes when we say, this would never happen to me, let he who stands be careful unless he falls. It's why one of the most successful failures of all time is the Titanic. This great ship that we've all studied about, enjoyed watching a movie and cried to the soundtrack. I am the king of the world. Visionaries, engineers, creators said collectively, it can't be sunk. 26,000 tons is the weight of the hull of the Titanic. It will never sink. And as the legend goes, there was a passenger by the name of Mrs. Albert Caldwell, and she asked a crewman, is it really true that this ship can't sink? And a crewman notoriously told her, God himself couldn't sink this ship. And painfully we know, on its maiden fateful voyage, at 2.20 a.m. on April 15th, 1912, this ship, the Titanic, plunged into the depths of the North Atlantic, killing 1,500 plus passengers and crew. Some of the most painful failures or when we say this would never happen. It would never happen to me. 
we see Jesus in John 21. Love for you to look at it later. We see, we see, uh, we see Peter, rather, in John 21. And he's on a boat. Not on a luxury liner in the North Atlantic, but he's on a small fishing boat in the Sea of Tiberias. The boat is stable, but Peter is not. Peter is not because <clears throat> when it got hard, when it got hard, it happened. When it got hard, he, uh, he was following the crowd. And in the crowd, he went to a place and he, he sat down, Scripture tells us. And by the way, if you, if you watched A.D., the Bible series, it depicted this beautifully. It was so well done and so accurate. And Peter, the, the, with the crowd around him, he sits down by a fire, a charcoal fire in the courtyard. And he wanted to lay low because there was danger. Jesus had been arrested earlier that day. And he was awaiting trial before the high priest Caiaphas. And Peter began to be afraid, and someone at first noticed him and said, there's a Galilean, there's that Galilean who's been with that man from Nazareth. And what did Peter say? I don't know who you're talking about. Someone else close by recognizes him, not, not me. Someone else, the danger began to heighten, the pressure got turned up. Aren't you, aren't you with him? Aren't you with Jesus? No, 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 no. Not me, I'm here, I'm just laying low by the fire. When the heat, the other kind of heat, turned up, Peter, Peter denied. Imagine, as Luke 22 depicts, imagine the scene where Peter, it says Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him, and imagine that scene. Imagine the weight that Peter felt. The weight of denying Jesus of doing the very thing that Jesus said he would do, of which he said, never. Can we just agree that's one heck of a failure? I want to give you three things this morning that Peter does well. I think he does three things really well, and I think these three things can help you and I when it comes to dealing with our failure. The first thing that he does is he owned it. He owned it. Peter owned his failure. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 75. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Two things there under owning it. He remembered the word of the Lord. And it tells us that he wept bitterly. He owned it. Jesus said, you would disown me. Peter said, no, I won't. Jesus said, you would lie. Peter said, no, I won't. Jesus said, you would run. Peter said, I won't. Jesus said, when it gets hard, you're not going to want to be apart. Peter said, uh-uh. He remembered what the Lord had said. Ever been far from home spiritually? And when that work begins, what you remember, you've got to remember the work, the word of the Lord in your life. And Peter's response was a good one. I'm submitting it to you today. He wept bitterly. He, he felt it. This rock, this man with the broad shoulders and calloused hands, 
and sun-splashed, rugged face. This professional fisherman who was a manly man, the scripture tells us, wept bitterly. I was wrong. Can I ask you, do you know the power of those three words? I was wrong. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. Look at this. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It's Peter. And it can be your path, my path, into a life of freedom. Peter finds that. He owned it. And notice the words I'm choosing. He owned it. Uh, You guys ever rented something? Ever rented a car or an apartment or a hotel room or a tuxedo or a bike at the beach or a power tool or something? Ever rented something? There's a universal principle that we know about, right? You treat something differently. If you're renting it, you treat it differently than when you own it. Isn't that true? But when you own it, you say, you say mine. And it's very personal. There's no doubt about it. I'm an intellectual giant um, and a a book snob. I refuse to read any book that uh, the author uh, doesn't have a doctorate. That's why I love Dr. Seuss. Here's what he said. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer your life in any direction you choose. It's Dr. Seuss. Let's say it together. Come on, it'd be fun. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer your life in any direction you choose. Smart guy. Smart guy. To be able to say, I own this. I own it. There's a couple of words I want to tell you, church, that keeps us, it keeps many of you, many of us, from moving forward away from failure into a path of freedom. But we're not owning it. And here are the couple of words that that some of us use way too often. You know these two words. Yeah, but... You don't need to say them with me today, church out loud, because you're probably going to say them later today, right? Yeah, but how do we use that sentence? Have you used it recently? The fire gets turned up in your life, and there's a sin that's been revealed, something not right, something not fully surrendered, and your response is, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I heard it recently from someone. I know that God's doing a convicting work, our loving God doing a patient and beautiful and convicting work in someone's life. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. It made me want to just kick them in the yeah, buts. (laughs) Those words will hold you back. But the one thing that we can learn from Peter is he owned it. The second thing that he did is for somebody this morning, maybe for a bunch of us, the second thing he did is he stayed in the group. Peter stayed in the group. After this failure, we see him back in the boat with his fishing buddies. Now, counselors and psychologists will tell us that this is, this is natural. When you and I probably have experienced something of difficulty, when we've blown something, when we've had a hard time with something, oftentimes we go what? We go back into what is familiar, the, the places, the people. That's a natural fallback response. That, that, can, that can be good. It can be healthy. It can be not good and not healthy. But we find Peter 
with James, with John, with Nathaniel, with Thomas. Scripture tells us there's seven of them in the boat together. Peter stayed in the group. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 10 says this. If either of them falls down, this is two people, talking about the power of two. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Without the group, without spiritual friends and advisors, when you fall, Scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes 4.10, you're going to have trouble. Other, others should pity you because you don't have somebody to help you. But if you do, you've got help. I ask you this morning, which do you want, trouble and pity or help? Sometimes I bump into people and I will say to them, I just go for the juggler now because I'm getting older, and I will say to them, at the risk of it sounding judgmental and me sounding like a preacher, I'll say to them, I hadn't seen you. This is somebody I hadn't been to church in a while. I'll say, I haven't seen you in a while. And oftentimes the response is, you know, I've, something hard, man. Just, man, boom. This, I, this, is, this happened. It's really hard. It's difficult. Here's what I've done, and boom. And my response now, as I get older, is just, it's the following. So, where have you been? Right? You answered a question, but it wasn't pertinent to the actual content of the question. Where have you been? Well, I've just, I did this. And because I did this, I can't show my face. And there are some folks, they know about my business, they know about my marriage, they know about the child, they know about this, and I just can't show my face here. Stay in the group. I feel so low. I feel like others won't relate. I feel like that I will be judged and pointed at and talked about, and I just heard. I don't want that crowded loneliness. Stay in the group. Man, I can't even come to worship because of the way I feel and what I've done. And it just stirs up stuff in me. Stay in the group. Peter owned it. He stayed in the group. And the last thing I'll share with you, he did something really beautiful. It's so simple. But he dove in. Peter dove in and he swam toward Jesus. The scene the setting after the crucifixion. Peter was uh, with the buddies, probably about, as I've studied it, probably about 100 yards. Um, he was in the boat with his buddies, about 100 yards offshore, and standing on shore at sunrise. Fishermen fish early, right? And standing on the shore at sunrise, they see a dimly lit figure. Remember, we look back and learn and we celebrate with billions the resurrection of Jesus. For them, that the story was unfolding. You've got to give them some grace, right? And Peter and the guys are standing there and they see about 100 yards on shore this dimly lit figure who shouts a question. Don't ever ask this question to fishermen. Have you caught any fish? That's a painful question. And if you're a fisherman, you hadn't caught any fish, that hurts, right? No. And Jesus says to them, throw your, cast your nets to the right. Some people think that's a political statement. Throw your nets over to the right and you'll find all that you need. And they did and their nets, you know the story, many of you, their nets are full. And Peter, the one who was 
The insomniac who was robbed of rest, of peace, of sleep, who, who the weight of shame, guilt, and embarrassment was weighing on him. He was the one. He just couldn't take it anymore, and he swims towards Jesus. He dove and he swam. Isn't that fitting of his personality? Isn't that just like him? Some of you go first, right? Some of you are the first ones to go. Some of you are the last. Some of you want to kind of get lost in the middle. Peter goes first, and Peter just, it was weighing on him, and there was a spiritual fatigue that probably led to a physical fatigue because I can only imagine how fast he swam to his Savior. And he gets there, and his arms are flailing, and I'm sure he had, uh, uh, unlike me, a head full of hair and a beard, and he, it was just, you know, he was just uh, swam so fast, and the water's all over, and he's drenched, and he gets up breathing heavy. And he looks in to those same eyes that Luke 22 told us earlier that Jesus looked across the charcoal fire after Peter had denied him. And you can imagine the disappointment. But here Jesus looks into the eyes. Peter looks into Jesus' eyes. And let me remind you whose eyes he's looking into. He's looking into the eyes of the one who had something on his forehead for wearing the crown of thorns, whose hand and feet were nail-pierced from being held on a Roman cross. Peter looks into the eyes this time, not of disappointment, but of forgiveness. Into the one who saves, who restores, who, who is with you in your lowest moments. When others may not think, when you may not think, there's redemption the Savior says there is. And Jesus asked Peter a question. He asked it three times. He said, do you love me? Peter says, I do, Lord. Do you love me? I do. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Now, what's inter interesting in the Greek New Testament, this is so great, Jesus asked the question, the question he uses, there's three words for love in the Greek New Testament. This word that Jesus asked is agape love. You know about that. So many of you do. Agape love is a God-like love. It's a sacrificial love. It's the highest level of love. It's a I will die for you love, which is pretty cool because Jesus had just died for him. And he asked him that question, the highest order, do you love me? Agape love. Do you agape me? But Peter's response is phileo. I love you, phileo. It's brotherly love. Now, isn't that a little disappointing? Doesn't that kind of ruin the story because we're almost at the end of the sermon? That kind of ruins things. I mean, that would hurt me. I love you. The, I love you the highest order. Do you love me? And then you, you drop it a little low on me, right? That's not, your love is not as good. Your love for me is not as great as my love for you. That just kind of bums me out. But remember, God's love, our experience of God's love is progressive. And when we walk into this love and not everything is just instant and perfect. And I think this is a way, as I've studied it this week, I think this is a way of Peter just saying, I'm going to love you. I'm not going to make any boastful claims again. Because I boasted to the highest degree and I fell short and I let you down. And I paid the price. And Peter's saying, I'm going to give you the best love I have. My love is not as great as your love, but I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you brotherly love. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't give a rebuke in this scene? He just says, feed my sheep. He's got something for him. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What, what's he saying in our language? We don't, we don't have any shepherds in the room. 
He's saying, build the kingdom. Remember the Bob Seger song you sang to me, Peter? Like a rock. What have you learned? What have you learned, Rocky? He's saying, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. And then we look at history and we see Peter. Not many more people in the annals of history have been used as much as this man. He took the gospel. He planted churches. God used Peter in a great, great way. And it makes this passage, I think, all the more beautiful. And here's what I want to do, church. I want us to stand. I want you to stand right now. Our worship team is going to be making their way up. But I want you, if you have an open Bible, uh, that's great. If not, I want you to just look on the screen. And I want us together to read what Peter would write these years later about the goodness of our Savior, the one who had restored him. Peter, after he owned it, he stayed in the group, and he dove in and swam to Jesus, the only one who could be his Savior. And let me just say, you know, God uses people in my life. God has used uh, several of you deeply in my life. If you're going to grow, he's going to use people in your life. Stay in the group. You'll need that. But there's only one worthy of diving in and swimming to. Because ultimately only one can give us the peace that we need. Only one can be our rest. Only one when we're carrying stuff around with us that's heavy, that weighs on us, that marks our failures. Not our glowing successes, but the things that stay with us that we're ashamed of. Only one can bring the deep forgiveness and healing. And here's what Peter, you know a little bit more now what he's been through. Here's what Peter would later say in his dying days. Let's say it together, church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Pray with me.